so recently, in my district in the church in Irvine, not my district, my hall, we have three halls, and the, the brothers uh, decided to gather all the sisters from the hall together. And I was out of town. Um, and uh, the, uh, the sisters didn't have to do anything. The brothers kind of helped and so on. Um, let me see. Am I confused about that? Uh, no, no. It's not this time. Um, we have a customary gathering of the sisters of the whole church there uh, twice a year. And uh, now it has become the custom that each time the brothers would um, prepare the food like this. Um, not, not a meal, just like a snack or something, but very, very rich snacks. Um, and I just would hear from the sisters, they are so, so cherished and so happy uh, about that. So you see, this, I'm making a point here that when I say uh, uh, submit, the sisters should roll or function even, is to submit. We don't even mean that uh, in a kind of a natural, in a natural way. At least two sisters came to me during the break to ask the question, um, what if um, the, the man or the husband in this case is uh, not even a brother in the Lord? You know, it's a sister marrying an un, a believer married to an unbeliever. What what should what should the 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 wife do? So I said, this is number one. This is not uncommon, right? Uh, you could have a husband or a brother who is either an unbeliever or a believer, but not for the church or not in the church. So this, these are not uncommon situations. So I said uh, <clears throat> the matter is actually uh, simple, uh, although in carrying out it requires the Lord and uh, wisdom. Um, this simplicity is, is this, that you have to distinguish between these two things, that is submission on the one hand and obedience on the other. There is a difference. Um, when we talk about submission, we stress primarily, prim primarily the matter of attitude, okay? An attitude, a kind of bearing, all right? So um, um, the, the, um, the woman should be submissive uh, to the man means that attitude. And, you know, the, whatever attitude we have uh, has to emanate or come from a deeper belief, right? You have to believe certain things. You have to um, um, internalize certain kind of belief. And out of that belief, you then adopt a certain attitude, right? So um, we believe in the word of God. 
We believe in all the things that we covered this morning, how God has made ordained things in the universe, in his creation, with male and female, all, all the rest. And so we, uh, with the scriptures, we, we, we obey the scriptures, and we, we like to live these scriptures, uh, in a, not in a way of law-keeping, right? But in a way of um, uh, not just hearing the word, but doing the word. So that is our belief. And based on that, we should have this attitude of submission. Now, there's a whole matter about I just cannot submit. Uh, Well, this brings in uh, the Lord himself, um, who is the real um, reality of submission. I mentioned the mind of Christ in Philippians 2 already. He is the true submissive one. He is our genuine submission as a virtue, as a female virtue, if I may say. So we need the Lord to submit. You cannot submit. I cannot submit. So we need Christ to submit. And sisters, you need Christ to submit to your husband. Um... And even to an unbelieving husband or a husband that is not for the church, to even submit to him, you need the Lord. But you also have to learn these things, the truth in the word. Now, the other side is obedience. Obedience has more to do with action. Action. You do certain things. You take certain action. So attitude and action, and there is a little difference. Of course, ideally, these two would merge and become one, ideally. But sometimes it is impossible. Let's say the unbelieving husband would require you to do something counter to, uh, to a Christian. You see, that is against the word of God. Um, he, he said, you follow me to go and worship idols. You understand? You cannot do that as a Christian. You, you cannot worship idols. So in this case, you have to have a submissive spirit still, but you cannot obey him in this matter, in that particular matter, because of the faith and because of the truth. Now, the life is not always so black and white, idols or not idols. There's a whole range of things in marriage lives, life and in, in marital relationships and, and so forth. In that case, I cannot tell you. In fact, the Bible even does not prescribe, you know, on this matter you should obey, on that matter you should not obey. There's not such a thing. So, you need to pray, and you need to receive wisdom from the Lord, from God, in what you should do, or how far you go. Um, um, in this matter, I think you also, I will refer you to First Corinthians, um, where is that chapter 6? Is that right? Concerning 
the, um, a, in fact, an unbelieving husband and a believing wife. I believe it's in, huh? Chapter 7, thank you. So you, you can go back and read it. And uh, um, it's also a lot of principles there. And also, uh, there is uh, this uh, uh, set of messages uh, or or lessons by Brother Watchman Nee on the uh, lessons for new believers. Lessons for new believers. I recommend that because there's all all told about uh, 52 lessons. It's in the collected works uh, that you can get from the from the bookstore here, and there is at least one lesson on uh, on this matter, on husband and wife and this sort of thing, and I, I believe something like this uh, is addressed: um, how even an un, uh, a believing wife should dwell uh, with a believing uh, husband. Uh, in, in marriage. So uh, you, you can, 1 Corinthians 7, so you can go and uh, read some of the um, ministry and footnotes and so forth. Uh, but at the end of the day, sisters, we need to learn to what? Learn to take Christ, and we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. We, we are not here to give out any kind of law or... Um, prescribe a set of, you know, uh, points, you just do it. There's not such a thing. You need to, um, according to your, uh, uh, the dynamics in your relationship and, and your marriage situation or family situation, the, the Lord will give you the wisdom on what you should do. Now, okay, um, I said today I have a particular burden on the matter of prayer. So let me still finish uh, very quickly, Roman 2, and also lesson 4. There's a whole lesson, lesson 4, but actually I can go through this that rather quickly. But let's come back to outline 1 and uh, uh, Roman numeral 2. You are all quoting Galatians 3, the verse, uh, the, uh, the, the, two, the three verses we read. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There cannot be male and female, for you are all one in Christ. So now we come to the other side of the coin. We stress in the first session the distinction, the need for um, even a boundary, a clear boundary uh, in the interaction or relationship between male and female um, uh, in society really, and for us in this community we call the church. Very, very important. Uh, Sorry to say here and there those lines were crossed and it caused a lot of difficulty and problems uh, to the saints, uh, to even, I would say, in some cases it affected marriages and even destroyed marriages. Um... And um, um, it is something that we should not just speak to you about. And it really is something that very much need to be spoken to the brothers about in this matter of the, the, the boundary. Now we flip the coin to see that on the other hand, 
there are really no male and female. See, the Bible is very balanced. The Bible is very balanced. On the one hand, male and female. See, the whole world is blurring that. Um, just don't know, is that a guy or is there a woman? That That's not right. That's not right. And all the, the mess, what a mess, what a mess out there. What a sinful mess up there. Um, but on the other hand, in Christ, in the Lord, it's another matter. There is no male and female. And that is also the truth. We're all one in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we're the same. More than equal. You know, we are the same. But not same, like today's world say, man and woman are the same. Not the same in that way, but the same in Christ, in the new creation. So I'm going to just read it. I think you can grasp it uh, quite easily. You can study it uh, afterwards. Before the Lord and in Christ, there's no distinction between male and female. In the world, the male occupies one role and the female occupies another role. In the church administration... The male also has its place, and the female ha- her place. So even in the church, in the administration of the church, there's a difference. Still, brother and sister, we don't have eldresses, no such thing. There are only elders in the church. We do have deaconesses, but there's no such thing as elders. Just for example, there's still a distinction. <clears throat> Um, and even in the family, in the nuclear family, the husband has his place and the wife has her place. I was at the airport and, and heard these two men, and obviously a couple, whatever, um, with a, a, a child, a very young child getting on the flight, my, my flight. And, and I just look at that and the way they're trying to take care of the child and, and, and each other. And, and, and uh, I said, what a confusion. And my heart goes out to the child. Like, like what is he or she going to become? living in this world of perpetual confusion. Um, You know, actually, even by nature, our human nature, we know that is not right, you see. And by the way, despite all these things being um, um, uh, broadcasted and and promoted in, in the media, in schools and all of that, Actually, the majority, even of today's population, do not subscribe to that. But uh, the voices are drowned out. All this become the noisy things, as if everyone believes in that. In fact, sorry to say, it's being legislated now to become law. To become law, you see. This is a very serious rebellion. This is a human rebellion against God and God's ordination. 
and against the law, the natural law that God has installed even in man in his creation. You go and read Romans chapter 1. To do anything like this to, to cause confusion, you have to deliberately subdue the created law according to the human nature. You have to kill it. You have to silence it. Even when it protests, you have to what? You have to um, um, uh, um, eliminate it. Uh, the conscience, you have to kill the conscience. You have to sear it in order to live in this kind of a way. It is so much against the law and, and the, the, the law of nature. And so to maintain that kind of lifestyle, that kind of relationship, you have to be perpetually pushing down your conscience. And that is a very conflicted way to live. It causes psychological damage and psychological issues. And all these are documented, by the way. Sorry, dear sisters, don't think I don't study these things. I do. I do. All right? I just want to help you not to be so innocent and you just read the paper, listen to this, and say, oh, oh. No, no. I want to tell you the source of all these things, all right? And the point is, we don't need to live that way. At least we have something called freedom of thought. I hope so. It's still working huh? in, in, in a democratic society, and in a free society. Um, but it's just a small handful um, Use, I must say, by the enemy to purvey these things, to legislate these things, in fact, to force the majority of society to what? To adopt that kind of belief and that kind of ideology. It's evil. It's evil. So we are in a free society to still have our choices and we, what? We want to choose what? God. Amen? And we choose to obey his word. As simple as that. You don't need to argue. You don't need to do this or that. It's that simple. And that's what we should do. I'm already spending too much time on this. But let me just finish reading. However, number two, A2, in Christ and in the new man, both the man and the woman have the same stand. There's no distinction between them. Why do you need to fight for equality? In Christ, we're equal already. More than equal. You, You see? You see? Almost making a battle out of nothing. I know there's historical background and all this. And the problem is in the end, it's because human race is not in Christ. That's why all these problems. If we would just be in Christ, all these will problems, issues will disappear. Number three, in Christ, the man does not occupy a special place. No. Nor does the woman, because Christ is all and in all. 
In this respect, a man is no different from a woman. But be careful when you say that, you know, what that means. Roman numeral one says there's a big difference. Roman numeral two, there's no difference. Um, because there are two angles, right, up to this truth. There's a twofoldness in this divine truth. A, the sister's place in some areas of service is different from that of the brothers, but this pertains only to the matter of authority. Uh, even in services, you know, the sisters can clean, the brothers can clean. Um, um, uh, you know, uh, multiple services in the church to take care of the uh, young people and and, and uh, this and that to uh, preach the gospel, to uh, shepherd uh, um, the believers. All this, no, no, no difference between a man and a woman. However, there is still some difference there uh, in the matter of authority. Um, you know, you can even, I have seen sisters that are very mature in, in the Lord. I, I mean that, really. Very mature in the Lord, very, uh, have much growth in life and spirituality in the Lord, but, and even much capacity and much, much more history. And here is a younger brother, relative younger brother in the same service. And I've seen sisters, and it takes a lot of spirituality to do this, to have a submissive attitude to this younger brother. in a very, very sweet way. Um, you just don't find that. You just don't find that out there. So, um, because there's still a matter of the male and the female in this respect. Okay, B, today in Christ, really there's no difference between the two. Just remember, in Christ, okay? Out of Christ, <laughs> it's another story. In the Lord, in the Lord. Okay, B, according to life, all the believers are males. However, according to love, we're all females. That's very good. We're all males, sons of God, according to life, because the life that we receive from God, the divine life, is, quote, quote, a male life. That means God's life, because God is not a female. And there's only one life in this universe, and that is Christ. And we all receive that same one life. There's no gender to that life. It's unique. All right? Um, so we're all males. We're all born sons of God. You say, how about sons and daughters? That's, we can answer that, all right? That pertains to something else. Um, concerning our individual experience with God, there's the matter of sons and daughters, and that's only mentioned once in the New Testament. Mainly we're all, uh, not mainly, entirely we're all sons of God. So sisters, you are a, you're not a daughter of God. Don't say that. That's not biblical. You are a son of God. So one time a brother asked, uh, brother Lee asked a brother, how are the brothers in such and such a place? That brother said, well, what do you mean 
the male brothers or the female brothers? <laughs> that means this brother really knows the truth, right? They're all brothers. Christ does not have sisters, okay? Even the first one he met in resurrection before he ascended to the Father was a female. It was Mary Magdalene, yes. not a man. How about that? He didn't appear to a guy or a man disciple. He appeared to a lady disciple, Mary, out of her abundant love for the Lord. He said, go tell my brothers, right? Go tell my brothers. And you would say, well, that must mean just those disciples. I don't think so. I think all the followers by that time in resurrection have all been regenerated, right? As what? Sons of God, brothers of Christ, which we all are. We all are. Okay. As the helpers, uh, to this, as a help to the sisters, we need to point out that in God's household, there are no daughters. God has only sons, not daughters. Be in the flesh, you are a female, but you have received the life of God's son. Therefore, even the sisters are sons. The feminists would not like this. Why? Why sons? See, see, you are. Mm-hmm. What, they, what is the word? Uh, this is a promotion of oppressive patriarchy. No, no. Let's get out of all of that stuff, okay? Let's. This is the word. This is reality. Okay, two. On the other hand, as to the relationship between us and Christ, we all are females. Even the brothers are females. See? Suddenly now even the brothers now. Are Are you a daughter of God? You say, no, I'm a son of God, just like the sisters are sons of God. Then are you a male or a female? Well, you have to say, according to life, we're all male, uh, all males. According to life. But according to love, we're all females, including the brothers. Now, brothers, you are female. I just told the sisters, you're sons. Now, brothers, I will tell you, you're all virgins. You're all part of the wife. This is the biblical revelation. Okay. Um We're all virgins betrothed to Christ. We're all, we are the bride of Christ and the wife of the Lamb. Oh, so marvelous. The relationship between the bride and the bridegroom is a matter of love, not a matter of life. According to love, we all are females. We are living sons of the living God, whereas we are the loving bride of our dear bridegroom. 
How wonderful that the church is both a man, right? We just, in Taipei, we cover the one new woman. No, sorry, no such thing. The one new man. And at the same time, we are not a bridegroom. We are a bride. A man is a bride. Have you ever heard such a thing? But this is the Bible's revelation. Okay, let's turn to the second lesson, lesson four. Let's read the subject together. The female life being the life useful to God in his economy. You see, this is, these two messages, by the way, are not just sisters' messages. They are brothers' messages as well. These two messages actually are for all the saints. So we're ta- not talking about, talking about the female. We're talking about the female life. Is the useful life in God's economy. In fact, we will see, if you don't live a female life, you are of no use to God's economy. So, brothers, brothers, we need to live the female life before God. Every day, dear sisters, I try to live as a female before God. And that's the way how I should live with taking him as my husband. Okay, one. Could you read together? The book of Exodus reveals the kind of people God can use in his economy for the fulfillment of his purpose. So this message is not talking about the story in Exodus 1 and 2, even though it's scripture reading. We have a full lesson or two devoted to those females, those exemplary females in Exodus 1 and 2, including the midwives. You, you know the story? Moses' mother, right? Moses' sister, Pharaoh's daughter, and even uh, her maid. So it takes a whole bunch of females to portray the female life that is needed to bring forth a savior of Israel in the person of Moses. All right? But we're not going to cover that story today. That's not the emphasis. So, But at least you have that as a background. A, God's intention as seen in this book, that, that's Exodus, is to have people, a people build him a dwelling place on the earth. We know that. That's the end of Exodus that tabernacle that was erected. At the end of Exodus, the tabernacle is erected to be God's dwelling place. B, furthermore, for the fulfillment of God's purpose, there's also the need for an army. There's not only a tabernacle, there's also an army raised up. That's the nation of Israel. To fight for God's interests on the earth. If the children of Israel were to enjoy the good land and to fulfill God's purpose of building a temple as God's testimony on earth, they had to fight to deliver the land from the usurping hand of the enemy. I think we all know that. C, therefore to be useful to God. Now, when we say to be useful to God, what do we mean? Here is a very, very succinct succinct definition. 
is related to do two things. Number one, building up God's dwelling place, which today is the church, and to fight for his interest on the earth. You have here the references in Ephesians 4 and 6. Chapter 4 is on the building of the church, of the body of Christ. Chapter 6 is on the spiritual warfare. Fought, fought by a spiritual warrior. That is still the, the, that is the build-up church that has put on Christ as its full armor. Those are the two things. Those are the two things. If you want to be useful, those are the things you do. You build up the church. You what? You defeat the enemy. And that's related to when God made man. What? To have his image and to have his dominion. One is for expression. The other is for what? God's representation. Okay, I hope you're clear. That's to be useful. Now, D says, this is the life useful to God. What kind of life can accomplish those two things? In these matters is the female life. It's the female life that will build the church. It's the female life that will defeat God's enemy. The male life will not do it. Two, please read together. God is the head of Christ. Christ, under the headship of God, is the head of every man. And man, under the headship of Christ, is the head of the woman. So this is just to repeat, repeat this order in the universe as God has it. Don't question it, uh, much less challenge it. Say amen to it. That will bring you the blessing. That will bring you the blessing. All right? Submission brings blessing. I like to tell you, dear sisters, grace flows downwards. The ointment of the Spirit flows downward. Just read Psalm 133. The dew of Hermon, that's grace, descends. It doesn't ascend. It descends. And then the oil, the ointment, flows down from the head to the beard, you know, to the hem of the garment of Aaron. So what does that mean? That means if you're so high, you're in a non-submissive place, nothing will come to you. The Dew of Hermon is a picture of grace of life. The ointment on Aaron's head signifies the compound spirit, which is the triune God himself. And these two things flow down. The more we're in a submissive posture, a submissive p- 
position, a submission, a place of submission, the more you will be a recipient of grace and the Spirit. So I tell you, dear saints, it's wonderful to submit. The world teach you to what? Ascend. Break the glass ceilings, ladies. See, see, totally opposite to God's thought, the divine way. Huh? You have to grasp this. So here is a repetition of this. It's God, the head of Christ, Christ, the head of every man, and man being the head of the woman. Don't, don't, don't challenge. Don't, don't, don't disagree. Amen, Lord. Amen, Lord. So beautiful. You will receive the blessing. Okay, three, let's read together. Man typifying Christ signifies the independent. Now for the rest of this uh, outline, we're going to touch very much this matter of a fee of um, what is a male life versus what is a female life. So man uh, who typifies Christ signifies the independent life. And it turns out in this whole universe, only one should be, is and should be and can be independent, and that is God. That is Christ, not you and I. But man, the male, is a type of Christ. So, it is also a type of an independent life. Which life is not useful? <laughs> As a type, it's okay. But when it comes to usefulness to the Lord in the church life, the male independent life is not useful. Okay, uh, four sisters. Woman, typifying man, signifies the dependent life. Now, woman typifies man. And therefore, signifies the dependent life. Now, this is really the thrust of the whole lesson here. What is a female life? It is the dependent life. Woman portrays dependency, a dependent life. All right, let's read on. Five, let's read. Man is to be a real female living a life dependent on God. So, again, you see so many wonderful verses. I don't have the time. So, man, that's, that this refers to male and female, just, just human man, is to be a real female. We are made actually, male and female, we're all actually made collectively a female before God to live a female life. In this sense, God didn't make a man. God made a female. Mankind is feminine. Mankind is female in the eyes of God. 
See? This is, you must grasp this truth. Okay. And as such, he should live a life that is entirely dependent on the male who is God. Right there. Right there. This is a, this is, this is just too, too marvelous. Too, too marvelous. Okay. Six, can we read? Man's independence of God is rebellion. Now you have another very intrinsic definition of the word rebellion. It's just to declare independence. You know, when, when, when uh, the uh, 13 colonies of the U, uh, what became the United States of America claimed independence, you know. Declaration of Independence, I tell you, to King George, that was rebellion. Am I right? So, for for um, us to rebel, you don't need to do this or that. You just claim independence from God. I can live without God. And that's basically what the fall of man was. I don't need the tree of life. I don't need God. I can survive and exist without him. That's ultimate rebellion because God did not make man that way. God made man to depend on him to live. What what is that song? Breath by breath, I live upon thee. Am I right? You know that song? Dear dear sisters, that's dependency. That's how a female should live, and that's how we all should live, even breath by breath. The moment we become independent, we become rebellious against God. Because the male life is independent and rebellious, God cannot use it for the accomplishment of his purpose. You know, we have... Anyone among us, male or female, if we are so tough and say, I don't need the Lord. You know, today the atheist, a real atheist, is really the ultimate form of rebellion. There's no God. They don't even say, I don't obey God. They say, God does not exist. Full and utter denial of God. Even scratching his existence. My, what, what audacity! What, what, what craziness is that? Seven. Let's read. If a woman lives an independent life, I forgot to read B because the male life is independent and rebellious. God cannot use it for the accomplishment for his purpose. Now, if a woman lives an independent life, she becomes a real male and therefore useless. Today, a great many women have become males. (laughs) They may be still dressed in women's clothes, but they are in every other way, a male. (laughs) 
B, this is the main reason for the many separations and divorces. Now, we're not putting all the blame on the woman. The man must be blamed as well. But the context here is the matter of dominance, the matter of power struggle, the matter of who calls the shots, who wears the pants, who runs the show, who all of this stuff, all of this. Number eight, please read. Only the real female life is useful to God. The, the genuine female life. This is not to demasculinize the brothers, okay? In fact, if anything, these days I am, I want to mas- remasculinize our dear, some of the dear young brothers. Because they are not a man. <laughs> I quote the Bible. Paul says, be a man. And I speak this to many of our young brothers. Brother, be a man. You're made a man. Be a man. I have sisters coming to me. Brother Minoru, we just cannot go on in our coordination. The brothers won't do a thing. They are wimps. Well, they didn't use that word. That's my word. I said, I sympathize with you, and I agree with you. That's the problem. The demasculinization of this generation, a generation of males in society. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a genuine feminine, female life lived before God. That's how we all should live, brothers. Brothers. That's how we should live. In the Bible, God's people are likened to a female. Number one, God dealt with Israel as his spouse. We cover that. In the New Testament, the believers in Christ are considered virgins. We cover that. In Ephesians 5.25, we see Christ loved the church as his counterpart, his wife. We all know that. Four, Christ will marry the new Jerusalem as his bride in the millennium. We cover that. Five, for eternity, the new Jerusalem will be the wife of God. This morning, I woke up and say, my we're even the bridal army. You know, one day an army will come with Christ, his overcomers, to fight with the Antichrist in Armageddon. This is the prophecy. But do you know that army is a female army? You know, today this fight, you know, when will women be able to get into combat? Not just join the military, but in the front line. So now they're getting the first batch of women into the Marines boot camp. I'm not in that realm to argue with that. But I will tell you in the word, to be an overcomer, you better be a female. The more you live a female life, 
independency of God, the more you're an overcomer and you will be part of the army. God, the Bible does not think the same way as the natural mind things. You know, when you're powerful, you're strong, you're muscular, then I can fight, I can be an overcomer. No. The more you're dependent on God. So Paul boasts in his weakness. Not in his power. He said, in the weakness is when I boast. That's when the grace of Christ would overshadow me. Or the power, the resurrection power, will strengthen me. That is a sign of dependency. We all need to live that way. Okay, I continue. Whether we're brothers, sisters, or brothers, we all need to be females and live by the only life that is useful to God. In order to be females, we need to depend on the Lord. Oh, oh, I love this. Did you go, go, go read some of Psalms? Such, that, 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 that daughter of Jerusalem, that lover uh, of, uh, of, of Solomon, right? In that case, that, that Shulamite, all so many signs in that poetry, in the, in the Song of Songs, that reveals her utter dependency on her beloved. That is how we should live. <clears throat> A, the tree of life in Genesis 2 signifies dependence, and the tree of knowledge signifies independence. Life always makes us dependent, whereas knowledge always makes us independent. So we need to go for life. B, God desires that we choose life instead of knowledge. This means that he wants us to choose dependence rather than independence. No matter how long we have been with the Lord, we still must depend on him. For life today, uh, depend on him for life today. We cannot graduate from eating, drinking, and breathing. With life, there is no graduation. God's strategy is to put us in a position where we must depend on him. This is the kind of life God can use for the fulfillment of his purpose. I am, by the Lord's arrangement, engaged and involved maybe in too many things. Sometimes I feel maybe I should pull back. But as it were, these responsibilities, these works uh, in the Lord's recovery, the churches, uh, regions, and saints, etc. Uh, so much work. I can testify to you humbly, sisters, that is, the more I am involved and engaged, the more responsibility are on the shoulders and on the lap, the more I realize my fragility and um, inability to do these things. Once upon a time, I, I can tick on anything. You know, I can do it. Give it to me. Now I said, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't think I can bear it. 
But certain things just kind of falls on the shoulders. And in this case, the only way I can carry out these responsibilities is by His grace. By His grace, I labor more abundantly, right? Uh, that is, Paul is the consummate uh, pattern of a female life in utter dependency on God. Lord, I cannot do it. That is a wonderful prayer. Now, there are times we have to say, I can. Now, we should not be just kind of a defeatist. There's a time for courage and boldness to do the work of the Lord. But I'm saying inwardly before the Lord, Lord, I need you. I need you. I cannot bear this. And even many times I have to pray, Lord, even my mental capacity is is stretched to the uttermost. Even my mind could not handle another problem or another situation. But it's there. So I said, Lord, even strengthen my mentality so that I can have wisdom and way to fellowship about this matter. And even my body. Lord, my body, I entrust to you. Uh, Help me, Lord. Right? Help me, Lord. This is right. So we need to enjoy the Lord, eat and drink and breathe the Lord. This is not some kind of local church thing. This is a sign of dependency. You eat because you depend on the food. You drink because you depend on that beverage. You breathe because you need the oxygen to live. You're actually declaring, I cannot live by myself by your eating, drinking, and breathing. We need him every moment. If we have a healthy fear of independence, there will be no problem in the church life. You know, in the church life, all the problems are by brothers and sisters, what? Claiming independence. When you don't need the Lord, I don't need the Lord, we are going to have problems in the church life. All problems in the church life, in married life, even in married life, and among the saints coming from come from one source, and that source is independence. Just just check. Even in your married life, when you have that argument or that exchange or that fight with your husband, let's say, it's not just the issue, you know, because of this, because of that. Yes, those are the trigger points. But is when you begin to live apart from Christ or the husband live apart from from Christ, not eating, not drinking, not one with the Lord, problems, all manners of problems. The reason the church throughout the years has been torn down instead of built up is that the so-called builders have been too independent. They have been males instead of females. And that's Christendom as a whole. That's the history. Too many independent workers and ministers and 
and people. The crucial point is that it is not a matter of how much we can do, but of how much we depend upon the Lord. You know, the word says, without Him, we can do nothing. Am I right? Isn't that John 15? I can do nothing without Him. Um... What, is, what did uh, Sister Barbara write in her Bible? Something along this line. I, I forgot. I forgot. Just a, a prayer or a declaration, not of independence, but of dependence. All right. Not only do the worldly people live an independent life, but many Christians also live a life that is independent of God. For this reason, the vast majority of Christians have become useless to God. Moses was trained to live a female life. He was a male. I mean, a tough one. He just, boom, just like this, and he killed an Egyptian. Bury him in the sand. Somebody found out. The next thing, he was a fugitive for 40 years. So at age 40, he killed the Egyptian, a male. 40 years the Lord took to train him to be a female. Now that's not a transgender operation, okay? (laughs) That is 40 years of training and dealing and the backside of the mountain. So that by age 80, Moses became a female before God. It was at that point that he was, Jehovah appeared to him as the burning bush or in the burning bush to commission him to take these two million Israelites to the good, out of Egypt to the good land. That's when he became useful. A, Moses honored God as the unique initiator. He was called by God to ascend the mountain where God revealed to him what was on his heart and then charged him to build the tabernacle according to the pattern shown him on the mountain. He never initiated anything. He was always on the receiving, depending end. What God, what his head would say, what the male would tell him. He received and he passed it on to the people. B, if he would perfect others in proper, if we would perfect others in a proper way and build up the church, we need such a female life. You know, those Israel people, they, they didn't have something to drink or eat. They all complained to Moses. They stirred up a rebellion against Moses. What did Moses do? Moses did not be the male, did not show his male side, so to speak, and do this. Moses just turned to God and prostrate and say, God, this is your problem. I didn't leave these people out there. You let us out there. Don't blame me, huh? I'm just a female. You are the initiator. Isn't that beautiful? He was the meekest person, you know, in Exodus, right? 
That's a female life. Okay. Uh, okay, three, moreover, all the warriors <coughs> were living a female life of dependence on God. You better get into those uh, verses in Joshua. If you uh, have not learned to be a female, you will not be able to fight for the kingdom of God. Only fe- In this army, only the female need to enlist. <laughs> All males will be rejected from this army. That should make the government happy, right? See? All the things they want to fight for, God already has planned. Am I right? If you live a female, genuine female life, you belong in God's army to fight for his kingdom. B, God uses only female warriors. I like that. This means that if you're living an independent male life, you're useless as far as spiritual warfare is concerned. D, may we all see that God can use us only if we are females, depending on him at all times and for all things. I think this is clear. Are you, are you good? Um, I know... You know, when I speak to sisters, I always consider I need to say something sweet to them. I need to make them happy. Uh, Well, today these two messages are not particularly sweet. But aren't they beautiful? I mean, aren't aren't they necessary? I hope you got something, and I hope you would study this quite carefully until these things become really yours and uh, part of your whole faith system, right? Now, with the remaining time, I said I'd like to say something about prayer and specifically to the sisters. Now, yesterday, I uh, asked some... um, uh, Could you give me my phone? Oh, you have this already? Yes. Did you give it? Oh, okay. You all got this other sheet of paper called Serving by Praying. Ah, okay, wonderful. I, I hope these are also in Chinese and, and Spanish and so forth. This is just, this is just classic. Um, and what I want to share with you is all, all here. Okay. Now... Uh, the, uh, you can read it when you go back or and read one another. The burden uh, just even occurred this week. I was with a group of brothers on the phone. In fact, brothers from the uh, uh, Northern California, San Francisco, the Bay Area, what we call the Bay Area there. And as I was sharing and, and speaking, <clears throat> I mentioned... Brothers, more than ever these days, I feel in the recovery of a need for prayer. Now, of course, from time to time, we, we, we spoke about that. And there's just such a deep feeling that now, you know why? Let me tell you. <clears throat> Every time 
God wants to do something. Satan knows. Okay? You, may, you and I may not, but the devil does. And he would know the strategic point to attack. Now, I'm not here trying to scare you, but I'm telling you the fact. So, the apostle talk about the devices and stratagems of the devil, using those words. His methodologies, his ways to frustrate God, to attack God's economy in a subtle way, all right? And sometimes in a frontal way, depending. But nevertheless, it is just to go against what God wants to accomplish. Now, in the Lord's recovery, we have faced this again and again in the various turmoils. So let me tell you just our recent story to illustrate this. Back in this, you know, the recovery came to this country through our brother back in the 60s, all right? And the recovery began to spread in a prevailing way, prevailing way, especially among the local people. There in the U.S., here in Canada, I think in Canada, it's actually started about the same time in a small way in Vancouver first in the 60s. Then in the latter 60s and early 70s here in eastern Canada, particularly in Toronto. Okay, so a bit of a parallel between the two countries. The Lord's recovery just spread like, like, like fire. <clears throat> Our increase was just phenomenal. From uh, in the U.S., uh, from the uh, early days in L.A., you know, when when the recover the first church life in Los the church life in Los Angeles started, there were about at the most 30 people, maybe. And at that time, most of them were also Chinese. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 I can show you some even photograph to, 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 so we can look at it. By the time, 10 years later, 1972 or so, our number across uh, uh, the country were, was in the thousands three, four thousands, so that we could not meet in the so-called Eldon Hall. We have to move to this convention center in Los Angeles. Don't know whether any of you have been there or not. This is in the 72 to 74 era. Like this. I mean, it's like that. And our brother, being in the lead of the Lord's work, has such a... uh, uh, um, optimistic uh, projection. If this should continue, my how 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 powerful this would be. I was there as a as a college kid. Then, right there, the enemy worked in two ways. Number one, by sowing amongst us. Some who are really not of us, they have 
an agenda, they have an intention, and they were full of ambition to take over the Lord's recovery. And that became that became our first major rebellion in this country. Okay? Barely what? Barely 15 years after the beginning in 1962. Outwardly, stirred up a gigantic, huge opposition from without. To label us a cult. Not just heretics, a cult. And if you know those days, the word cult means something very, very bad. Evil. You know, you, many of you young ones have no idea whether you have heard of Jim Jones People's Temple. The, this um, um, we were we were lumped with that the most evil of the real cults evil books lies slanders because of that we were blockaded uh, we were more than marginalized we were marginalized already. This will just force us to what? Basically, by these, one, the adversary within, and two, the enemy without, a double whammy, I call it, cause the recovery to grind to a halt. Not only did we not increase, we lost people in that rebellion by the hundreds of local Americans. I don't know about Canadians here. I can only speak about America the same. Hundreds. People my age, that if they had stayed, today the recovery would be a different, quite a different one in terms of leadership um, and so on. The recovery entered into a sort of winter in terms of increase and growth. To counter that, this is the first one. Our brother went to Taiwan in the 80s to find a way to break through this dormant situation that we have fallen into. After five years in Taiwan, he came back with what today we call the God-ordained way, which we really need to fellowship more about to review that. And he came back. This is just 10 years later, okay? 1987, 88. He came back to, with a burden, full burden, to work out that way in the West, in America, in North America. He came back to another rebellion, a worse one than the first. Now, I can tell you these things because I was in 
both of those rebellions. I don't mean I was an active participant. You understand what I mean. I was in it. I was in Anaheim, which was an epicenter of that, of this second one. My, I tell you, the setback, the damage, even the collateral damage, many innocent saints were affected, losing confidence and heart for the recovery, for the ministry, for the church life, going back into the world, becoming cold. I want to tell you, sisters, that the spiritual warfare is a very real thing. It's not imagined. And particularly when God wants to do something, the enemy frequently would want to preempt, preempt what God would want to do. Now, I want to tell you that in my spirit, and this is only my one man's feeling, that after so many years, you know, that's the 80s. Now it's 30 years later. 30 years later, okay? In the late 2010s. That the Lord is... want to do something again. In a way of a renewal, in a way of a revival, in a way of a new season, of springtime, of growth, of increase, of positive advance of his recovery. I believe it. And I don't say this out of thin air because... I am in the work, I visit the churches, and I'm not just looking at the current condition, I'm sensing that in my spirit. In North America, specifically, I'm not talking about the whole recovery, I only talk about North America. And there's a lot of reasons for that, I won't get into it, but I want to tell you, sisters, that because of that, I believe the enemy will attack, as he has done. How so, I do not know. So that's the backdrop of my fellowship this week with the brothers. I said, brothers, that is my sensation. And for that reason, I only know one thing to do, and that is to call upon the saints to pray. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, all right? But against principalities and powers and the power of darkness, of evil. And there's only one way we're told how to fight that warfare, and that is in Ephesians 6. Having done all to stand with the full armor of Christ on with one offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit. Which spirit is the word of God by means of all prayer? 
So praying, prayer is the way. So these days, as we are doing this, doing that, so many works and activities which we need to do. Sisters, this morning I want to call upon you. I want to issue this as a call. Sisters, rise up to pray. Rise up to enter into the ministry of intercessory prayer. A ministry at the golden incense altar in the holy place. If there's a time to pray, it is now. It is now. Whenever we don't pray, we lost our vigilance. So therefore, with the Lord and with the apostles, prayer is always paired with watchfulness. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. I hope these days our prayer meetings will be more full of saints. In Acts chapter 2, the first church in Jerusalem, which is a sort of a prototype, if you will, continue steadfastly in four things of two pairs. One is the apostles' teaching and fellowship, which we do in the churches. We follow this ministry. We are in the word of God. Even this morning, these lessons are part of the steadfast following of the apostles' teaching. Now, the two second pair is breaking of bread and prayers. I believe there's an S behind prayer. That means all manners of prayers. Supplication, petition, intercession, thanksgiving. First Timothy chapter 2 is actually a chapter on the church life, but if you read through it, you will find it is a chapter on prayer, where the apostle says, said, first of all, first of all, first things first, I would that, what? Prayer, intercession, petition be made. On behalf of those in power, am I right? The government, that we can live a life in tranquility with all gravity. That is the church life. And then immediately it says what? For it is the desire of the Savior God that all men should be saved and come to the full knowledge of the truth. That we need to pray for. And then later... In the same chapter, he says, I would that men would not, what? Strive, would not argue, but would lift up their holy hands everywhere to pray. And then talk about the sisters. 
that the sisters should pray. I tell you, prayer is this indispensable activity, most indispensable activity or ministry of the church of God. You get that book if you have not read it, The Prayer Ministry of the Church. It's a must read. Read it again. I hope the church prayers will be uplifted to such a level. Those are the only two things. The breaking of bread, the Lord's table, and prayers. These are the two strongest, outstanding characteristics of a local church. Now, more specifically, besides the prayer meeting, I'd like to call on you sisters to sanctify your life, yourself, for the sake of this ministry of prayer in other times of the week. And specifically, I'm talking about you gathering together in small numbers. I understand in Toronto, you have on Wednesday morning a time to get together, right? This is not just sisters, but also brothers. That is one way. There may be other times because Wednesday you're not available. Certain mornings or certain other times on the phone or coming together and pray. And you say, pray for what? My goodness, there are too many burdens that the church may print out or share. Uh, And even what little I share with you concerning the need of the Lord's recovery today. Canada needs prayer. The Lord's move in Canada, the churches in Canada. The Lord's gospel in Canada. So many situations. It's a warfare, sisters. And so you read this. And by the way, the source of this is in a little booklet that I always recommend to you, sisters. Another classic. It's only a booklet called The Serving Sisters in the Church Life, given in 1975 in Anaheim. The Serving Sisters in the Church Life. And this is... This is excerpted from that message about how to serve. And so here our brother is saying one main area to serve is prayer. And he talked about, sisters, to pray, you must stop talking and gossiping. He doesn't mean you shut up. He means gossiping and uh, idle talks and unprofitable conversations, wasteful um, chats. Because the more you talk, and it takes energy to talk, you have no energy to pray. And the more you're in this kind of a uh, uh, soulish and, and sometimes even fleshly act, uh, talking activity, your spirit is weakened. You don't even have a strong spirit that can bear the burden of prayer, that can wield the sword of the spirit. 
So conserve your energy. Don't waste it on those things. And in fact, by less talk, the church will be more spiritual and sanctified. There will be less leakages of life in the church. I call upon not just old sisters, I call upon young sisters. I call upon even college-age sisters. That as young as you are, you would begin to be trained and be perfected in this ministry of prayer. Now, in the coming lessons of the sisters, there will be actually the first 24 lessons, I can tell you, are all messages like this, certain principles, certain things. The second 24 lessons are all on patterns in the Bible and patterns in church history of women, of sisters who were useful to God. And this matter of prayer will be covered there. Right? Think about who? Hannah. Am I right? The mother of Samuel. Hannah is just a woman, but the Samuel that he begot out of desperate prayer became a dispensational instrument to turn an age from priesthood to kingship in Israel. A major, major thing. So, sisters, I would just leave that burden with you a very practical burden. I even, I would like to say the co-workers need your prayer. The elders need your prayer. The serving ones need your prayer. Full-timers. The young people need your prayer. The college age saints need your prayer. The children need your prayer. Even your own children need your prayer. I don't know how much you pray for your own kids. I mean desperately. Desperately. I am here, like many of you, a product of specific prayer in the 1960s. I won't be standing here if, there were, if those prayers were missing. It's a fact. Sisters, with the fineness of nature that God has bestowed to you as a female, pray. And you will receive the blessing from the Lord, I can guarantee you. So pray the watchman prayer who will take no rest and who will give God no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. Amen. We need your prayer, sisters, these days. The whole recovery, let me say this, the recovery in North America, specifically, need your prayer. You say, I don't know how to pray. I don't, uh, well, learn. You will acquire the strength. You acquire, you, you, you learn from other more mature ones. You even learn how to utter the prayer according to the Lord's anointing. And you also learn how to pray in one accord, which is essential. 
So can I call upon you to do this? Amen, Amen sisters? Amen. That's your living assignment. Amen. You know, what is prayer? I'll, I'll sit down after this, really. Prayer is the top sign of man's dependency on God. Now let's pray a little bit with your neighbor, okay? Amen. Carve out one hour, okay? Or half hour, okay? 40 minutes, depending on the size of the group and your practical situation. You come together, and don't, 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 how's the weather, how's the kids? I'm not saying you should not be human, Uh, with a little greeting. I don't mean that. You understand what I mean. A little conversation, you just get carried away into that. You can't come not to socialize, not even to, if you understand me, fellowship. You come to pray. That's all you do. And you come, you have some fellowship about the burden or current burden of the church or whatever needs, whatever. You just hit it. And you pray. Within the hour, you finish. Bye-bye. See? We're all busy. Am I right? You have to go home and cook. You have kids and this and that. So don't just spread things out, drag things out. But when it comes to praying, you would be focused. You would be exercised at that period of time. And you would pour out and exercise your spirit. All right? Built, endurance need to be built. You know, prayer mainly needs endurance. That's why it says persevere in prayer. So in the beginning, you can only pray a little bit. That's okay. Even if you can only pray for 20 minutes, that's good. Let me tell you, you will grow. You know, prayer also is an appetite. The more you pray, the more you want to eat that food. That means the more you need to pray and want to pray. You hunger for more prayer. That means your capacity has is expanding. But it takes time. It's okay. Take time. All right? I hope even that would be a little help to you. Amen. Like once a, once a week, in some places more than that, but do what you can do and go from there. Okay, brothers.